This is Amy Poehler. My new movie, Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2, is coming to theaters June 14th. And it's making me feel joy and sadness and anger. Definitely some disgust. Rose! And I think a little fear. But I'm also feeling these new emotions like anxiety, embarrassment, envy, and ennui. It's what you call the boredom. Okay, that one was weird. It's going to be the feel-everything movie of the summer. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters June 14. Get tickets now. The Sour Hour is meant for the serious brewer. The Sour Hour may contain some seriously funkified content. The Sour Hour is not for the faint of heart. So exercise some damn discretion, would you please? Sheesh. And now, here's the Sour Hour with Jay Goodwin. It's that time again. Sour Hour on the Brewing Network. I'm your host, Jay Goodwin, from The Rare Barrel. Still here recording at the Brewing Network studios in <laughs> downtown Concord. For five short more weeks. Two, two shows away from, you know, talking a little bit more about what goes on in the place where we record. Which is, you know, BN Studios. So, obviously, right. there's many offices for all the BN employees. And then no other kind of related beer-related activities. No. 90% of people maybe don't know what we're talking about, but in, in a few weeks we'll be able to talk about it a little bit more. Some laws changing in California about uh, what you can say and what you can't say if you're a brewer, about the, the bars that you're in. You know, most of the laws here are pretty uh, brewer-friendly. I think you guys had uh, Creature Comforts on the, uh, the session a few, a few weeks ago, right? We did, yep. Just hearing about some of those laws in Georgia, it's just like, man, yeah, it, it, it's hard to complain about the California restrictions on uh, selling beer when you hear how, how bad it is in some of the other states. No kidding. I can uh, complain a lot about California in many other respects if you want. Like traffic? Yeah. Well, that's <laughs> one of many things, but yes. Maybe, maybe uh, off the air, I'll uh, take up your evening complaining about California. That, that sounds like a typical evening with the two of us. <laughs> it does. <laughs> Uh, that voice you hear is Scott. How's it going, Scott? Oh, it's good, man. Good to see you. Good to see you, too. I, yeah, just I'm a little flustered. I rolled in about two minutes ago because of the traffic coming over here. But Very un-Jay-like. Jay normally shows up about uh, 428, so he's, he can uh, mm-hmm. have a nice cup of coffee and relax, have a nice beer, uh, chat it up with Bevo and uh, General Manager Kevin. Yep. Uh, but today, not nope. so much. So today's show is going to suck. Because I'm just not prepared, basically. <laughs> no caffeine and no beer. Make Jay something something. No, I had some caffeine on the way, so that's a good thing. And then, uh, yeah, we're also here with Bevo. How's it going, Bevo? Hi. Wow. wow. No, no, no. Let's try that again. I'll cut that out in post, yeah. too. How's it going, Bevo? Much better. Cricket, cricket. Oh, okay. <laughs> now, now I feel back at home. How is it going, actually, Bevo? Hold on. She just took her headphones off. Hold on. She's still no headphones. How's it going, Beaver? How's it actually going? It's going great. Okay, Okay, good. (laughs) All right. So just like Bevo was just participating in the show, we want you guys to participate in the show as well. Uh, Give us a call. I mean, if you're you're listening live and we say something that you don't understand or, you know, you're just like, what? That can't possibly be true. Make bad beer all the time. (laughs) 
<laughs> like that live drops wow you've been you've been prepping <laughs> yeah well be, i listened to the end well, somebody I was, has to exactly i was cut, oh, cutting okay. the end of last show uh <laughs> getting ready to uh, post it the uh, part two of oh, uh, Degard, yeah uh, which will be up within the next couple of days and uh listen to you telling me hey why aren't you cutting you know some of these drops about jamil and his farts etc mm-hmm. and uh, i proclaimed at the time i'm a professional producer and then got in today and re- <laughs> realized i'm Something below professional because I hadn't gotten any of those drops, but I have now. Awesome. Your farts taste great. There you go. Well, those are all of me, though. What, well, this thing Jamil is, has the no. The, the problem is now. I went back. Jamil didn't say that that his his house flavor is farts or what, what he what we thought he said. He didn't. He actually said I've I have only been farting around with my sour program, and mm-hmm. then you came in with your farts taste great. <laughs> so that's the real drop. Okay, well that's fine too. <laughs> And you're you're dropping more of those into the session too. I can see Justin, you know, he's kind of fifty fifty on those. Well, I think it's that they Let's don't see. like the uh, the you know uh, horns honking or crowd applause or those mm-hmm. sort of uh, sound effects. But uh, show character saying ridiculous things. I, I think they're all right with that. Yeah, I think there should be more of those for sure. Yeah. So uh, yeah, more drops on the sour hour. That's big news. But yeah, if you are listening live, uh, call us eight 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 four zero one beer. Um, join in on the conversation, uh, join us in the chat. Also, you can participate by giving us some feedback, Scott at the brewing network.com questions, either to Scott or myself, Jay at the brewing network.com. And we've got some, some of those that were emailed to us since the last show. So thank you for that. And you can watch us live if the, if the webcam is properly positioned. It is. It is. It's on your beautiful we're face. Looking good. Okay, great. Yeah. My, my tired, Ragged. flustered, flustered face. Um, weathered yeah watch watch and listen live uh, thebrewingnetwork.com slash tv and I, you know what I don't have written here that I, that I should change is the app right because mm-hmm. people could the mobile I app. never I never mentioned the app so maybe because I don't don't use it because I'm always here right. or I podcast but who like the user who's using the app what is that person using it for is it for a live broadcast yeah it's, it, okay. right it's what's streaming live so it's either live shows as they're happening mm-hmm. or archives yeah just any any random brew stronger session or or any of the other shows on this network might be playing at any given time and then if a, a live show happens it, it will butt in and you'll hear a live broadcast okay awesome so if you're uh driving around town in that traffic that we referenced uh you need the bn mobile app so you can be listening to it on the road and then we're if we're we're posting on social media pretty much the day of to promote that we're recording this hour hour. So if you're right, yes, that's true. Uh, although uh, on the new, uh, it's like two months now. So we've we've launched the new Brewing Network website. In mm-hmm. the uh, bottom right corner of the website, you scroll down. The bottom right corner is the uh, event calendar, and uh, you can see when shows are coming up. And I always try and have those up at least a couple of few weeks in advance. Yeah, and that's between you know Scott and I change, exchanging some emails, talking about when the next show will be. So that that's probably the number one spot you can uh, check it out, and then yeah, get the BN mobile app to make sure you can be listening live. Um, what else do we have at the top? Uh, I want to talk about some rare barrel stuff. I mentioned on the last show, we have a new bottle release map of the sun, which has been going really well. I can't say anything about where that beer can be found anywhere near where I'm sitting now, Mm. but you know, if you like that, if you like apricot sour beers, I bet you could find it somewhere 
locally. Oh, on the, on the break, I'm going to get in my car and drive to the Rare Barrel and get, because I'm assuming that's what you mean. I have to go to the uh, brewery. Yeah, there, you yeah. Know, it could be closer. I don't know. Hmm. But, I, you know, I'm just not sure. No comment on that. But, uh, yeah, if you're in town for Thanksgiving, Christmas, uh, and you're planning on coming by the Rare Barrel, we should have bottles of that beer. So, uh, And I, I really like the way this year's taste, so... Pretty excited about that. You know how I got to taste it. Uh, you were generous enough, as you always are, to bring in uh, six bottles for the uh, session crew, mm-hmm. and I uh, diligently distributed them, distributed them amongst the uh, staff. And there were no, there wasn't <laughs> there wasn't one left over for me. And I, I purposely wow. I gave them to Beardy and Bevo and everybody, and, and then there was none for me. And I, eh, you know what? I'm fine. I'll, I'll taste it. I'm sure I'll taste it. Uh, and then one of our uh, staff brought it to poker night. Oh, and there you go. There. Brought, brought their That's own called, bottle because they're in the Ambassadors Club. That's called karma right there. I guess so. Are you? Are, do you have the ability to change? Are you changing as a person? Um, I would say I'm like uh, not devolving. What is it when you um, – decomposing. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so your parts of you are falling off. That's correct. Okay. Yeah, I'm Good. a leper. Um, yeah, so that's what's going on. Uh, we're pretty excited about that at the Rare Barrel. Also, uh, this is probably for just the live listeners and if you're local – we're having a, a rare arts fair. Oh, on, you don't say. Yeah, on Saturday. So this is some local artisans who are bringing in somewhat beer-related or maybe very beer-related uh, just art projects, crafts, and uh, beer-related things. Uh, both of uh, Alex uh, Wallace, our co-founder's parents, are going to be there. They do a lot of cool stuff with jewelry and decomposing barrels and recomposing them into uh into art projects and uh scott you're going to be there too right i will be there yep with the uh the hop life stuff i do cartoon hops doing various things and uh, it's called hop life live in life exactly hops live in life so i'll be there with uh, some original paintings some t-shirts and some prints and etc and i'm super stoked to try the uh the watermelon forces yes. what are you doing you'd be blending in some what are you doing on the on the spot is it already blended I'm personally not doing anything, and this is something that the uh, taste. This kind of came from our tasting room staff, I believe. So they started to kind of mess around with uh, the beers that we have on tap, and I think at one point uh, they got some watermelon juice and added it to our beer, Forces Unseen, which is a series of blended golden sours, where we kind of leave out any secondary ingredients or any kind of um, intense like barrel flavors. We just try to showcase what different yeast and bacteria can kind of provide in the terms of flavors and just a golden sour. Um, so the one we have on tap right now, I think they blended it with some watermelon juice and everyone really liked it. So we're going to try it out. So it's, uh, you know, actually adding the juice as we pour it, I think, because oh, I mean, I haven't filled any case. Just glass by glass. Yeah. So, I mean, really what we're trying to do is, you know, if you can, sell a brewery that makes a grapefruit IPA for $1 billion, how much can you sell a brewery for that makes a watermelon golden sour? No, I'm just joking. <laughs> <about that. laughs> uh, Five grand? Yeah, yeah, probably. Um, but yeah, you know, I think kind of getting more intense fruit flavors is a, is a big trend, and it's something we're always experimenting with. So this will be a fun one to do at the Taps. And yeah, so if you're in town, come buy some... Uh, some barrel stave candle holders, some rare barrel jewelry, some hop, hop life prints. Do you have some uh, some of your non hop life stuff? Because you're doing, you got a lot of other really cool paintings going on. Uh, I 
can. I mean, I can bring other stuff. I wasn't necessarily planning on it, but I have other paintings. And yeah, you should stuff. just to show it off. It's yeah. really good stuff. All right. We, we've got one of yours there at the Rare Barrel, too. No, oh, yeah. The uh, Stern's Wharf. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. UCSB Pride. Now, where do you have that? Is that in the office? I think we're... It's in the office. We're deciding what the best place to put it up is because it's like our... We have a lot of stuff up in like our conference room, which I think is a good place, but it's not as good as that painting. So it's kind of like we got to take everything else down mm-hmm. and then start like <laughs> classing it up, like build up around that. You know what I mean? Right. Well... This is actually a good point for uh, people who, because I notice a lot of stuff displayed on people's walls, and it's usually like, uh, you know, Ikea or Target or, or just mm-hmm. generic, like, you know, it's the Eiffel Tower, Old Paris, but it's mm-hmm. on, it's works on canvas. Like, so people do display an interest in having things on the walls of their home, yeah. but they, they stop short at anything after. So I want something there, but then all other thought ceases. So they buy BS printy stuff from your Targets, and uh, mm-hmm. they also don't even display correctly so whatever you have on your walls you got to aim direct light at it Mm. so whether that means installing a new like directional can light above it or uh, buying one of those little led um, sort of they attach to the frame itself and they just kind of are they hang over the picture and they shine on the picture like old school style but if the more direct light you 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 bounce off the canvas the Mm -hmm. better whatever it is is going to look especially if it's original artwork if you have original artwork on your walls and you're not bouncing light off it there's, what are you doing? Yeah, it's like pouring great craft beer into a dirty glass. That's exactly like that. the same thing. You know, but what's you, the point? You work all this time. You you know either pay all this money or spend all this money to try and make a great beer, only to mess it up right at the right end. at the end. Right, yeah. exactly. What if it's a print you bought at Ross that has inspirational quotes about being a good family and loving each other <laughs> and a bunch of other crap? That doesn't need light. That's okay. a, that's a waste of everybody's time. <laughs> That could that could go in the closet, maybe. Right. Yeah. Behind the extra blankets for when family comes over. Okay. Noted. All right. What else do I have to talk about? Listen, we talked about this a little bit already, but listen to the last show. Uh, Trevor from DeGuard Brewing was on. I guess the part two is going to drop here soon in the next few days. We had a lot of talk about spontaneous fermentation. Uh, it's kind of interesting how they do it with, you know, they have their spontaneous fermentation and... Some of the beer goes on to age for a really long period of time, and then some of it, they actually bring it back to the brew house, kind of heat it up to activate the lactobacillus more than the other yeast and bacteria, and then that kind of that's what kind of makes up their Berliner series, uh, Berliner and Goes, that they've gotten uh, a lot of uh, praise for, and they've become very well known for that. But luckily, we'll, the beers that we got were all their kind of older beers and the stuff that Trevor was kind of more trying to say, you know, the Berliners were what, we, you know, what we were doing to kind of start, but this is really the new wave of DeGuard beer. So it's, it's kind of a great time to have them on as they're transitioning. They're already known as this really great brewery, but here's all these new beers that they're, you know, maybe not everyone has had yet, but they're about to come out with. So well, I'm trying to remember what was uh, his his five dollar his mind blowing five dollar per bottle price point. Did that apply just to the 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 short turnaround that your the goes in the Berliner, or was that all his beers? He you can go back and listen, but he he quoted some some pretty low low pricing for his beers. So mind blowing. Yeah, I yeah. And how you do that? I don't either. I mean, I really don't, but. More, you know, God bless them. I'll buy those beers. Oh, I'll buy the hell out of them. Yeah. But yeah, good luck being bought out by one of the big boys when they look at your business plan. And nah. realize everything's perfect except for your retail price. He didn't seem, you know, they, he really kind of had that 
that passion came across, um, you know, even over the pod, the pod wave. Oh yeah. You know, it was, it was easy, easy to tell that this guy really loves what he's doing and, and loves the beer he's making. And, uh, that, that comes across in the beer too. Oh yeah. Really awesome stuff. Uh, get their beers and go back and listen to that show. Um, let's see. You want to do question and then go to break and then sure. uh, bring on the guy. Did I even say who's on the show today? I don't know. Let's say it again. The Commons Brewery from Portland, Oregon's on the show today. There so we go. have uh, Sean Burke, who's the head brewer, and Sam Pecoraro. I'll ask him if I pronounced that correctly. Probably not in that cadence, but uh, they'll be joining us shortly, just right after the break. Um, let's get to a question brought to us by sourbeerblog.com. Indeed. And then go to the break. Do you, do you, should we do a follow-up? Because so, we don't have much time, and I want to get to the guy. So let's just mm-hmm. do a follow-up on a previous email, and then we'll get to tons of questions once we have the comments guys on the line. This okay. is a follow-up from uh, Sam. Uh, Sam Atwater, um, we answered the question, I believe, a couple episodes ago. Uh, he said, everything is going well so far. I got my separate Brett Brooks and Lactocultures up and running. He maintained them for a couple of months. Then he put together a pretty standard golden sour base recipe, split it off into three separate one-gallon carboys each. Uh, with a different sour ferment. The first one was primary with lacto and sac. The secondary, he pitched Brett. The second one, the primary, was lacto, sac, and Brett. Secondary, he racked, uh, and nothing. he had nothing else. Uh, and uh, the third, the primary, was kettle soured, no knockout. Then he pitched sac, and then in the secondary, he pitched Brett. He said, stupid me, though, after I racked and pitched into secondary, I lost track of which was which ferment. So now they're just labeled one, two, and Ooh. three. Oops. After my last tasting, I've noticed a massive difference between each ferment. Big sourness in one ferment. Another has nice balance, uh, and the last has got a good amount of funk. Any thoughts as to which ferment you think is which from my basic description? He said, my best, my guess is that the uh, the big sour is the kettle sour beer. Mm-hmm. You think that's right? Probably. I mean, if these beers aren't that old, so to develop that much acidity this young, unless you had a super strong culture, you know, it's, that's probably the kettle sour. He said the... Uh, the balanced one, he's guessing, is the Brett Lactosac Primary. Probably, yeah. And the uh, funky, he's guessing, is the Lactosac Primary Brett Secondary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd say that's that's fair. It's unfortunate that you lost track of, you know, which one was which. <laughs> After but... all that. He, 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 <laughs> see, he painted the thing. He varnished it. He framed it. He put it up on a wall in a dark room. Yeah. That's what he did. Well, he's still going with it. Don't shake your head at me, Bebo. It's a perfect analogy. So many <laughs> art analogies. Just stop it. <laughs> Brewing and blending isn't is an art. Either. Yes. You are just as bad as him. Exactly. You stop it too. Oh, we're both right. Uh, but yeah, so Sam, um, yeah, that I think your best guess is a good best guess. Um, but yeah, just just keep going with it, keep experimenting, and I think that that's kind of the original question. I think was you know how do I get started? Should I do you know all these one gallon experiments? And we were kind of like, yeah, this is this is what we talk about here. You know, make make one gallon well first. And then try to make it into five gallons or on a pro scale, you know, a lot more than that. So I think you're doing good things. You know, I, I'd buy a label maker or something. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. uh, but you know, if you like the way the beers are turning out, then that's something. So uh, good job. And, yeah, just uh, be diligent about all that labeling. Um, can be, you know, the devil's in the details with that kind of stuff. So. He said that he's planning to start a mini Solera system with them and then the blend top every six months or so, and that he will keep us updated. Please do, Sam. Great. Yeah, Thanks for writing in again. All right. 
Should we head out to a break? Let's do it. All right. We'll be uh, right back with the guys from the Commons. This is the Sour Hour on the Brewing Network. Have you ever dreamed of attending the World Brewing Academy? This year, thanks to Lalamond and Danstar, one lucky brewer will make that dream a reality for free. Lalamond and Danstar invite you to enter the Beer School 2016 contest. One lucky grand prize winner will receive fully paid tuition to the 2016 World Brewing Academy web-based concise course in brewing technology worth almost $4,000. From now until December 11, 2015, every Danstar yeast packet you use is your ticket to enter. Visit danstaryeast.com for the details and to print your official entry form. There's no limit on the number of times you can enter, so get brewing with Danstar and get your entries into the Danstar 2016 Beer School Contest. Whether you want to build your home brewing skills or build a career as a professional brewer, this course will change the way you think of beer and brewing. Enter at danstaryeast.com and get the dry yeast advantage with Lalamond and Danstar Premium Brewing Yeast and enter to win. Ken Grossman of Sierra Nevada Brewing Company says making great beer is hard. Making the same great beer every day is harder. Brewers Publications announces its latest release for breweries of any type and size. Quality Management, an essential guide for brewers by Mary Pelletieri. Proper quality management for small, regional, and national breweries is critical. Whether you are an established business or brand new, learn the best ways to create and manage a quality system in your brewery. This book will guide you in developing a comprehensive program that will grow with your brewery, help ensure quality processes in the brewery, and continue providing great beer for your fans. Quality management for breweries is critical for continued success. This guidebook teaches you to integrate quality management in every level of the operation. It will guide you in developing a comprehensive program to ensure quality processes in your brewery. Quality management, an essential guide for brewers, now available from Brewers Publications. Learn more at brewerspublications.com. Sour Hour. Going to get into some sour beer talk with the guys from the Commons, but uh, before we do that, I wanted to mention uh, one of our great sponsors, the Wine and Hop Shop. Wineandhop.com. Wine and Hop Shop. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> episode 22, we've almost got it. Uh, Wineandhop.com. Uh, check them out. I was on their website today. They carry uh, Omega yeast and Giga yeast, which are you know two of our favorite suppliers make a lot of cool stuff and there there's really so many options for you if you're looking into kind of starting your home sour program check them out i mean they have a lot of different saccharomyces and bacteria combos so you don't have to really like figure that out for yourself um by what i recommend you do is go on their website buy one of everything buy one gallon glass carboys and then go on amazon.com through the Brewing Network link mm. by a label maker and then label <laughs> each of the one-gallon carboys and then taste the experiments. 
That's brilliant advice. That's how you make sour beer right there. So go check them out, wineandhop.com. I would like to clarify that. If you go to thebrewingnetwork.com on the right-hand side, if you do not have an ad blocker running, so please disable ad blocking for our website, there is an Amazon link. If you click that and do all your shopping as normal, Amazon gives us a little cut of everything you buy and uh, helps keep the lights on around here. Price doesn't change. Nothing changes. You don't even know we're there, but we get a little cut. Really an amazing program. If someone buys a label maker through the Amazon Brewing Network link, do you promise to mention that on the session? Like that's the product the of the product week? of the week. Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, I'm a, hopefully there'll be more than one. All right. Yeah. So check out. Start keeping count of how many label makers we just pushed. Okay. Noted. The there. Uh, let's get to our guests. Uh, do we have them on the line? Hey, Sean. Hey, what's up? What's up, dude? Hey, Nothing sh- much. Thanks. Nope. Thanks for joining us. And uh, you, you have another. You have another uh, guest there with you, right? Is Sam there? Yep, I'm here. How's it going? Going great, guys. Thanks so much for joining us on the show tonight. Uh, had a lot of uh, requests for you guys to come on and, you know, seeing you guys walk up on stage at uh, GABF and World Beer Cup so many times, you know, I, I always thought, hey, these these are the guys who know, what, know what's going on with uh, not just sour beer, but a lot of different beer styles that are, people are trying to accomplish great things on. So uh, we appreciate you coming on the show. Well, awesome. Thanks for the kind words. So, uh, Sean, why don't we start with you? Maybe uh, just a little bit of background, how you guys got into brewing, and kind of what you guys' uh, individual positions are there at the Commons Brewery. Yeah, absolutely. So I, uh, I began as a home brewer, like most of us, uh, many, many years ago. I have that kind of fun story where, you know, I realized you can make beer before you can buy beer. And so uh, I kind of... Sn- thought I was sneaking into a homebrew shop and it turns out you can buy ingredients and it's perfectly legal. So I did that uh, quite a while ago and was brewing, brewing, brewing and finally decided I was going to make a profession out of it. So uh, I tried really hard in Portland and just could not get my foot in the door until I decided to go to brewing school, went off and did that and was able to get my foot in the door and came straight out of brewing school into this job. So my... uh, my current title here is head brewer, and uh, yeah, that's that's about it. Did you go to Siebel? I did, yeah. So I did the Siebel Master Brewer Program. You think that just made people take your resume more seriously? Yeah, I feel like I just kind of cut in line. And I mean, I, I definitely got lucky for sure. I, I got introduced to the founder of this place uh, by a friend of mine, a good friend of mine named Sean White. He, uh, He's currently off doing Little Fish Brewing out in uh, Athens, Ohio. But uh, he was here in town and introduced uh, the founder, Mike Wright, to to me when I was actually still over in Germany. And uh, I I got to come back to Portland and literally go down to the brewery the next day. And, you know, Mike hemmed and hawed a little bit about whether he was going to hire me. And then, (laughs) uh, you know, I I made him a couple beers and then he said, oh, okay, that'll work. So. Yeah, it was a good choice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, putting that brewing school to good use. Uh, yeah, how about- yeah it, was, it was beneficial. I mean, it's you know, I, I, it, it's not maybe for everyone, but uh, it, it worked well for me. So, yeah. how about you, Sam? Yeah, so I kind of uh, went the same route as Sean as far as home brewing, but uh, skipped the brewing school and went straight to volunteering lots everywhere. A um, bunch of places around Portland, actually the Commons, uh, before I got my first brewing job at uh, Burnside Brewing. And then about nine months ago, I moved over here and took a position as a brewer and the uh, packaging specialist. 
Nice. And, uh, Sean, for, for the people who are listening to the show, as hard as it may be to believe, who haven't either heard of the Commons or maybe haven't had a chance to try your beer, what, what is the Commons Brewery all about? How, how do you guys kind of sum it up and explain what you guys are doing there to people? Yeah, uh, we we that's a that's a great question. Uh, we you. tried to make uh, approachable European inspired beers. I think a, a kind of nice way of putting it. But at the same time, we've tried very hard not to paint ourselves in a corner because uh, it we like a lot of different kind of beer. And so I mean, we we kind of you know we hit off on doing a lot of the farmhouse sales from the beginning, and you know working with funk and working with bugs. And, but you know, I'm I personally am a huge lager lover, uh, so that's a big part of what I brought to the table there. Um, so we're really trying to say, you know, these are just beers that we like to do, but we we really aim for the kind of mid-strength alcohol. So somewhere around four percent to six percent is, is is the good range. But it's not to say we're not going to go in either direction of that. Um, and really just kind of like nice balance is, is, is I guess the key to it all. So are you guys kind of avoiding the whole hoppy beer trend, the IPAs, all the new experimental hops, New Zealand hops, that kind of thing? Or do you kind of dip your toe in that? I'd say we dip our toe every once in a while. It's, it's a tricky thing. I mean, I, I personally have not wanted to get into the, the hop contract game that hard. Uh, Cause what I've seen is that you know every ten minutes there's a, ten minutes there's a new hop variety and to try to contract out for that you know for years and years and years is that's a difficult thing you have to you have to really lock in a lot of recipes and that that's just not it's not something we're interested in and honestly I think just people do it better than we would and I. I I love them. It's not. It's. It's not to say we're never going to do it, but I, we we really kind of just want to concentrate on what we know a little bit better. I guess is a better way of putting it. Gotcha. And what if you could describe maybe some of the the process or the ingredients or even some of your beers that you feel like make your brewery unique and stand out, kind of amongst the big crowd of craft beer. Sure. Sure. Um, you know, I'll start off our flagship beer is actually called Urban Farmhouse Ale. Uh, that was one that was done by the founder, Mike Wright. He uh, he started this entire brewery as a one-barrel nano brewery in his garage, legally, licensed by the government. Um, and he he really had kind of procured that recipe down to just being a kind of nice, balanced, low-alcohol, traditional saison slash farmhouse ale. Um Really, you know, fermentation flavor profile forward. Uh, real, you know, the beauty of it is when it shines in the bottle conditioned bottle. And uh, so that's kind of our flagship beer. That's that's what we make the most of. Uh, it's changed, you know, a little bit throughout the years as we've kind of grown as a company, but um, you know, dialing it in, I guess, is the best way of putting it. But uh, the next beer that he introduced to me to, to try to make year round was a beer called Flemish Kiss. And that's a. Uh, loosely inspired by Revolve, but uh, I wouldn't say it's definitely a exact match, <laughs> but uh, so essentially he took an American pale ale, kind of hybridized with a little bit of a, uh, you know, British pale ale kind of, th- it's not, when you think pale, you know, not like necessarily the Sierra Nevada level, but uh, just kind of real basic uh, 
Munich malt, crystal malt forward, a little bit of hop profile to it. And then uh, it, for a long time, has been in wine barrels, neutral wine barrels, with Brett Brooks. And uh, the whole goal with that was really to give kind of the flavor of what Orval was like when it was young. Uh, so there's kind of a little bit more bitterness forward, a little bit more uh, subdued Brett character. But, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those that it's been a challenge to make year-round. We, we really, really have been playing around with it quite a bit. And uh, we're actually, as of a couple weeks ago, uh, it's now in a fooder as, as opposed to going into that many wine barrels um what else we do a german style pilsner year-round that's that's kind of that's not packaged in uh, bottles but it's draft here around portland and then uh we've upped our game on making a beer called myrtle which is a uh, kettle soured farmhouse ale with a, a house culture of lactobacillus and it really really highlights uh meridian hops and so it's this real nice light drinking kind of tart not enamel peeling sour beer uh it's done well for us and been well received i have a question from the chat about that specific beer they want to know how it's made sure uh i'm gonna let sam answer some of that <laughs> well actually i'm gonna start off by saying a really, really cool thing about the the the, the sort of impetus the, the beginning of this beer was uh we had, in 2012, we were looking at what we wanted to do for a fresh hop beer. Being here in Portland, we're you know 45 minutes drive from some really really awesome hop fields, and uh, we were saying you know what do what do we want to be what do we want to do in a fresh hop beer that's you know not an IPA not a big pale ale, and uh, having the ability to say okay the hops are ready means that we could actually kettle sour beer and have a fresh hop kettle sour beer. So Myrtle actually started off as a kettle soured uh, fresh hop beer, but it was so well received that we said, well, what's it like with pelletized hops? So we've been tweaking the recipe ever since and uh, Sam is gonna tell you how that's done. Yeah, so very simply Myrtle, um, grain bill of Pilsner, acidulated malt, carrot and oats. Um, we mash into uh, our water tongue, water into the kettle, um, bring it up to a boil, and run it through the heat X. Um, drop back down to a target of 120 degrees. Um, we add lactic acid to bring it down to a pH of uh, 4.5 to 4.8, and then we pitch our house lactobacillus. Um, we used to do it over the weekend, uh, maybe 72 hour time period. And I think we upped our uh, pitch rate and it dropped it to about 18 hours. Uh, we'll end at a target of around 3.4 and bring back to a boil. Um, prior to the boil, we'll, uh, we'll pull off a pitch for the next batch of, uh, of Myrtle, usually about a half barrel. And then we'll proceed as usual. Um, There's a couple of editions of Myrtle uh, during the boil and whirlpool. And then we ferment with our um, uh, farmhouse ale yeast, our house strain. And we pitch it at a little bit higher rate because of the low acidity and add a little bit extra um, uh, yeast nutrient. And from there on out, pretty much a uh, uh, treated like any of our other beers. Uh, it's, it's also dry hopped. 
let me just ask you guys real quick. Do you have uh, some music or something going on in the background there? Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, our yeah. tasting room. Sorry, guys. Okay. Yeah, I can go, I'll go get them to turn it down a little bit. Uh, we, we tried to find, we're literally actually sitting in our uh, bottle conditioning room because it's the quietest place in the brewery. Wow. <laughs> really pumping those g- beats for the tap room. You're such yeah, a buzzkill, Scott. Sorry. Our bartenders likes to uh, uh, play it loud, as they say. Hey, is Justin still there with you? I actually don't know. I can't see through the wall, but I, he might be. Yeah, he brought in a bunch of French brewers today, which is pretty neat. Nice. Yeah, Justin uh, is up in Portland, and I know he, he came by and visited today, so that's cool. Hey, so do you guys like working with fresh hops? Uh, uh, we've really only ever done it on that beer, so that's, that's a hard question to answer. Um, I have found that, that with that beer and those particular hops, it brings out a juiciness that you don't get that I don't get in any other beers. And I think it can, can definitely be attributed to the low acidity. Uh, it, it tends to bring out a lot less chlorophenol. But uh, from a process point of view, um, I like going and picking up the hops because it's really fun to visit the farm. <laughs> but uh, working with them, yeah, it's, it's, they're kind of a pain in the ass, actually. That they're, uh, they're really sticky afterwards. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's to deal with it, it seems like one of those things where so many parts about it are cool, like the going to pick it up part and the, you know, deciding what type part and the mm-hmm. idea of it part. But in actual practice, what they lend to, I don't, I can't think of anything off the top of my head that a fresh hop beer that I've really liked. And that could just be one man's palate. Jay, have you ever worked with fresh hops? We did uh, when I was at the brewery and they were problematic for sure. Um, and, it, to, again, like you were saying, to my taste, I didn't see so much of a difference that it kind of justified all, all the work and, and also kind of introducing something that maybe has more um, microbial instability. So there's, you know, it's a, it's a fresh product and you could be introducing things that are living to a product that is basically, you know, sanitary. Even, the, you know, the... The commons they're talking about myrtle and but that's even though it's a sour beer they boil it and then send it to their fermenter for, so from that process on you know they are trying to keep this beer clean um so maybe that it, it it's it, I, I almost compare it to fruit sometimes where you have whole fruit which can be problematic with either peeling or pitting or you know how much do you slice it do you macerate it whatever versus using some of that's you know freeze dried or pureed already for you. So um, so so what's what's the current process of dry hopping myrtle like, or what do you guys see it as going forward? Yeah, for for us with dry hopping, we're we're definitely uh, we're doing it in a bright tank essentially. Well, it's or a uni tank depends on where we're at with the uh, with the beer. But um, yeah, I tend to agree that it's not. It's we we do it very very rarely. Um, we we really like uh, the Meridian hops that we use in there. Uh, they come from Indie Hop, and Indie Hop is this wonderful pelletizing process that uh, really leaves the hops intact a lot more. So really, they crush up more like a whole leaf hop. But uh, I t- I totally agree with Jay that it's 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 a risk. Um, again. You know, we're putting it into a very low pH beer, so it's a risk that we we tend to gauge as, as a uh, a good one. We we actually never repitch 
the yeast that we do off of these kettle sour beers, uh, it tends to be the viability on it's terrible. So it's kind of a, a one and done um, scenario. So we're not necessarily worried about carrying over into multiple generations. My biggest worry, I suppose, in that department would be if we were going to package it in the bottle and, you know, what 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 is on the, the dry hop that would continue to go on. But uh, yeah, that's kind of our take on it. It's, it's pretty much one of the only beers that we actually do dry hop. And it's, it's a really low rate at that too, you know, it's really to just kind of, the acidity really brings out some of the, the fruit character of, of that hop in general too. So I feel like it was a better beer after we dry hopped it. Yeah, it's an, it's an amazing beer. I think that maybe just the, the last two things that I would have questions about, just your process on this beer is, so it sounds like this is an all stainless beer. Um, it's not seeing any oak barrel aging. What's the, what's the timeline of, the, you know, you go through a primary fermentation with your um, ha- farmhouse uh, house strain. Uh, how long does that take to get to the final gravity? What What is your guys' final gravity on that beer? And then what's your, how long do you have the dry hops in there? You're correct. And it doesn't see oak. Uh, so, you know, being that it's kettle sour, we reach our acidity ahead of time. And, we're you know, it's one of those nice things about kettle sour and is you, you can kind of freeze something in time uh not to say that our beer but uh with that particular beer we ferment time it's a little bit longer because of the low acidity uh and as sam was mentioning you know the higher yeast pitch rate uh allows us to actually kick off fermentation uh, a lot quicker but uh we see generally uh, i want to say it's somewhere in the realm of about 14 days of, of reaching uh, terminal. And the terminal on that is about two and a half Play-Doh. Uh, that's, that's typically the target. Uh, and then once all the yeast has been settled out, uh, or we'll typically drop it down to about 65 degrees, I think is about right. And that, that tends to drop out that farmhouse ale yeast because it loves the higher temperatures. Uh, once all the yeast is dropped out, we will then, if it's uni tank, we'll come in with about four days contact time on the hops. Again, uh, the acidity does things very differently than, than uh, you know, sort of your standard IPA or anything that you're dry hopping. So it tends to bring it out a little bit quicker. And we're looking for not drawing the chlorophenone. We're really looking for just kind of that, like, fresher, young hop character, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah, well whatever you guys are doing it's making a, a great beer and you know award-winning beer so well, kudos, thank you very much. kudos to you on that let's uh i think it's is it break time scott yes let's uh get a quick break in here and then we'll come back with the guys from the commons be right back on the sour hour beer tasting games that train your palate a brewery locator and the brand new interactive beer style guide these are just a few of the awesome things you'll find on craftbeer.com the style guide is a beautiful example of technology and beer browse beer style families or turn on the automatic beer style finder and explore beer through color bitterness abv aroma and flavor it's really the coolest way to explore every beer style besides having them all in front of you go to craft 
craftbeer.com and click on Beer Styles to start the guide. Plus, enjoy the rest of craftbeer.com, the Brewer's Banter blogs, beer education, how to host a beer tasting, and the invaluable Draft Quality Manual. Tons of great content that makes your beer better. Visit the new craftbeer.com right now and explore the website that brings you all the passion, camaraderie, and creativity of the craft beer community. Craftbeer.com, celebrating the best of American beer. This is Rob from Allagash Brewing. You are listening to the Sour Hour on the Brewing Network. 
That was a nice cut up there. I like the song. Seamlessly got Robin there. Oh, yeah. Well done. Thank you. I'm a professional it's producer. Like, it's like you're good at this or something. <laughs> <laughs> We're back. It's a sour hour uh, here with the uh, the com- the guys from the Commons Brewery. Guess that, have you ever had the Commons on the session? I don't think so. Sean, you ever done the session? No, I have not. Not yet. Got to get him back for that and other BN shows. Noted. Uh, so uh, we got into Myrtle a little bit before the break. Um wanted to talk to you guys a little bit more about just just your overall kettle souring process. I know um, kettle souring is such a, a hot topic these days with um, pro brewers and home brewers. And there, there's a lot of great things going on with it where, you know, it's a great way to get into uh, dabbling in sour beer without kind of contaminating your your fermentation space with your with your clean beers um sean i know you were part of the the panel at cbc which was in my opinion the best talk uh of the whole conference um he has said that to every previous guest who did a talk sean i just want you to know <laughs> well, it's still it's still nice to hear well those were f- from other years you know? oh so, okay you know there's always a best talk of the year and last year it was the kettle sour talk but for those who who couldn't attend maybe uh could you give some recommendations to kind of new new brewers or breweries who are going to kind of dip their toe in this uh in this way of making sour beer yeah absolutely i uh i i always have to start off this uh that that by saying people need to know that this is not the only way to sour beer um i think that that it uh it it can get carried away with or you know people can get carried away with kind of how how oh this is you know this is sour beer this is how it's made and that's that's not necessarily the case i think it's just you know one tool in the toolbox is is sort of the the caveat i always throw in there but um one thing that i really like about you know the, the beers that we do that we kettle sour uh is that you really like i mentioned before you're able to kind of lock an acidity into place and it's, it's a very controllable process. And, uh, you know, there's part of me that loves that. And there's part of me that also loves, you know, a mixed culture fermentation in a barrel. That's not as much of a controllable process or, or I should say less of a controllable process. Um, but for people, you know, starting out there, I feel like nowadays there, there's starting to be get, become enough information out there that, you know, you, you're able to really understand what you're doing, uh, some some nice techniques to get it so that it doesn't taste like garbage and baby diapers. Uh, that's key. Um, I think it's given you know kettle sour in a bad name over the years or over the, the, the recent year years. Um, you know because there's a lot of there's a lot of bad beer put out there that you know under the guise of oh it's sour it's good. Um, and you know at the end of the day good beer is good beer and uh, we should we should all champion for that. But um, uh, I. I'm a huge proponent of not throwing grain in to sour your beer. I think that that is a pitfall that should be avoided. Um, sure, lactobacillus grows on grain, but so does a lot of other things, or so do a lot of other things. And um, you know, trust trust a reliable source of of uh, inoculant um, of, of lacto and. Um, for us, uh, our process is relatively simple. Um, I can would gladly give them my contact for anybody that wants to know it. Um, that the the CBC talk has a pretty good uh, uh, description of our process. 
to a point. I mean, it's it's a little bit dated at this point, which, which sounds silly to say, but I kind of wrote it based off of our old uh, brewing system, and we've changed a few things on a new uh, brewing system that we're on. Uh, on that panel were two other brewers, Ben Edmonds uh, of Breakside Brewery, did a really good job of documenting out their process, and our processes are very similar, so... Um, I'm pretty sure that information is pretty widely out there, but if not, uh, I can easily get that and send it to people if they want. Um, but it's, you know, it's a relatively simple thing of just, you know, you're, you're mashing and loudering like you would any other beer, except you're then taking that beer, chilling it down to a temperature that lactobacillus can actually work in, uh, getting it to a certain pH, and then boiling that to, to stop that pH and kill off the lacto, and then pitching yeast and fermenting it like you would any other beer. So it tends to have good results when you do it well. And we're ha- you know, you mentioned that you don't recommend brewers to uh, kind of look look to their own grain as a source of lacto. What are the types of sources that you guys have, have found, uh, you know, work for your beer and, and what hasn't worked? What, what, are you, what have you tried over the years? We've actually gone down a lot of different roads on that. Uh, there's the very easy one of, you know, buy a commercial pitch from a trusted source from people that work in a laboratory. Uh, that works really, really well. Um, we have, you know, like I say, grain, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of, you know, spoilers that, that can exist on a, on husk of grain. So obviously not that, um, We've actually used yogurt in the past. Uh, that worked well, but we, we've kind of moved beyond that. Um, we have used probiotics as, as kind of a, an experiment in the past, and that works well. But again, you know, with those, I found it's a very, very one-note beer that comes out of it. So uh, I'm looking for a little bit more depth. Uh, we currently have a house strain that we cultured from a, a bottle of German Goza. Um, it it's kind of neat in the fact that, uh, it is definitely changed over time, but, uh, it's, it's given us a very good profile. And, you know, as Sam mentioned, we're, we're really, we're basically just harvesting straight off. You know, we're souring, getting to our pH, but before we boil that, we're pulling that. And then that's going into the next batch and it's working quite well for us. Um, as with anything in brewing, your mileage may vary though. So. And when you compare, you know, you, you did touch on the yogurt, the probiotics, kind of being a one-note thing, and also ordering straight from the lab. And now the the strain you've gone to, cultured from the Goza, uh, you, you kind of describe the difference. But if you could put, kind of pin down, like, a, a flavor or an aroma or a mouthfeel difference, or maybe even it's a performance difference in, in the actual souring, what what is the exact difference there? Uh so, so for us, I mean, with, with yogurt, for example, I mean, we, we did this, we first did a beer a couple of years ago, three or four years ago for the, uh, in Portland, they have a fruit beer fest. And we, we really, I mean, the yogurt thing was kind of one of those, like, it's nerdy to be able to say you've soured a beer with yogurt. You know, it's, it's, it's for years I've heard, you know, tales of, of some guy in the bottling line was eating yogurt and it contaminated an entire bottling run. And so, you know, put, planted the seed in my head of, oh, wait, what if that worked? And so from sort of the nerdy aspect of me of, well, that'd be kind of fun to, to try to do that with yogurt. And it worked, but, you know, we, we weren't able to really, 
the type of lactobacillus that's going in there is not necessarily what uh, we were into the strain in particular was not necessarily what you know it has a certain performance it's used eating milk sugars you know and we're feeding it to work which is a whole different thing so uh, for us we found that it wasn't lowering the pH as much which again I don't think is a bad thing I, I don't think again I, I like the enamel on my teeth so um, I don't want it to be so low that it's just it's heartburn giving um, so you know we typically for us we would it would get right around three six and that's I mean it's a great pH but it, for what we were trying to do we were, we were wanting to, to go a little bit lower and so we were finding that we were having to add and then, well, I should back up. And then flavor-wise, it's it's very neutral. Uh, you know, it's it's kind of one of those funny things where people talk about the power of suggestion. You know, when you say you sour a beer with yogurt, everyone says, oh, I can taste it. And <laughs> I argue that you can't taste that um, uh, because the amount of yogurt that went into souring a batch was so little that it, there's no way that you can actually taste yogurt and the fact that it's wort and not you know, lactose. Um, but then also it... it it was very, like I say, it was very neutral, you know, so we're adding fruit, which I think kind of lends more to that power of suggestion where, you know, fruited yogurt. So yeah, I can, sure I can taste yogurt. Um, and what we're getting out of our house, uh, lactoculture is a lot more of this really bright, uh, wonderful citrus character that I think, you know, lends more to what we were trying to accomplish and not having to add as much, adjunct downstream to, to you know reach the flavor profile that we were going for i think it's been executed beautifully and you know it's it's evidenced by how popular your beers are and and the not not just the commercial response but other brewers i, I hear talking about how good your beers are and and of course the awards um i think you guys are doing a great job um thank you what, I, what i'd like to do if i could is i have one more question on the on the kettle souring but we're going to do our uh our show break where we kind of split this up. Can you guys hang out for a little bit longer? Um, uh, I have a few more questions for you after that. Yeah, that sounds great. Awesome. So uh, just the last one I want to get out on, on this is, uh, you know, I hear a lot of people describe their kettle souring process. It's not something I I actually have any experience with. So one thing I have a hard time picturing is what, what the, so you have your, you've pitched your lacto, and you've purged uh, oxygen out with CO2, however you're trying to do that. And then you're kind of, that, at that point, you're kind of in hour one of your lactic fermentation. What does is, what is your kettle actually look like during that time? How are you, are you continuously trying to keep CO2 out? What happens with the, the stack that's over the kettle? What is the... What, what, what does that look like? What are your preparations uh, when it comes to that that hour one to 24 hours in the kettle? Yeah, I'll go ahead and take that one. Um, so the stack, we actually, can, can I say that? Yeah, uh, yeah we actually, uh, we have to go up on the roof and uh, put a garbage bag over the stack. Um, that's always fun. Uh, as far as down in the brewery, um, yeah, everything looks about the same. We just cut the kettle. Um, you know, it's obviously uh, clad and insulated. So we, um, you know, it'll hold temperature really well. We only see about a maybe three degree temperature drop. Uh, we always make sure to put a piece of tape on the, uh, 
on the manway so we remember the garbage bag on the roof. <laughs> um, yeah, we when, when we pitch the lacto in, we'll let it run for a few minutes, and basically, the uh, we'll go keg to a side port on the kettle, um, and once the keg is empty, we'll let it continue to run um, CO2 into the kettle. That way, we purge up through the stack, um, and then basically, it's a waiting game. We found 18 hours is usually good. Um, we won't rely on flavor or uh, taste we'll just basically um, take pH readings it's really tough to tell what the pH is without a pH meter uh, and then when we hit three four we'll harvest and click the kettle back on and so how, how long is the co2 actually running during during this time varies by who's probably doing it yeah I think, <laughs> I think you know with all these things that Sam's mentioning too it's, it's you know vastly going to vary based on your system so mm-hmm. it it for us we have a Pretty, we have really tall ceilings in our brewery, so you know we're we're relying on purging. I don't know. I I've drained entire bulk CO2 tanks trying to purge heads based on a kettle sour, and that's it, it wasn't beneficial and it was really expensive. So th- there are a lot of mistakes to do. Uh, I'd say you know in the perfect world, something we've talked about doing and, and really kind of this is looking into the crystal ball to see if this is really something that we want to continue to do in the future, but We've talked about actually instead of doing it in the kettle, doing it in a dedicated, basically bright tank. Mm-hmm. So it's a it's a purgeable tank, you know, that you you are able to replace the entire headspace with CO2, and you know, basically making this nice anaerobic environment. Uh, and then with dedicated hoses, you're able with CO2 to send it right back to the kettle when it's reached its pH. Um, that's a, ideal world um we're still waiting for the money to come around to buy that tank but uh it i think you can uh i think you can definitely achieve the results oh boy how do i how do i delicately put that uh i think it's also worth experimenting with maybe it it, okay your lactosource is honestly going to be a huge factor in this too uh if you have a lacto that can actually is a facultative anaerobe where it can actually take the presence of oxygen, um, that might not necessarily be the worst. Again, I'm not a microbiologist, so I can't tell you that. And I I always am quick to say your mileage may vary, but uh, for our system, it, you know, our CO2 purge is probably looking at what, five minutes at, at that. So I don't know if that fully answers that question, but. So you've you've gone as little as five minutes and as long as you know as long, draining as an, entire an entire bulk weekend, tank. yeah, and, and drained an entire tank, and and uh, I don't know that I saw a benefit to draining an entire tank of CO two. So um, it, that you know that was my mistake learning early on, and I thought I had it on a slow trickle, but it was much quicker than I thought. So you know, and that's 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 kind of the interesting thing with a process like this you know there's no there's no roadmap out there right now and you know we're all kind of trying to figure it out and you go through all these pitfalls and and you figure out what works for you and you know it's it's easy to say go ahead and experiment and you know for us we're dealing with real money you know on a homebrewing scale awesome that's like the best case scenario it's one of the greatest things about homebrewing is that you know you can experiment 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 and you're you're 
I'm not saying it's not expensive, but it's not, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars. So um, I, I believe that, you know, that somebody out there is probably figuring out an even better way to do it than we are, too. So, Well, it's good to give people a stepping stone, and that's why we're, we're really excited to have you guys on the show to kind of advance that knowledge for all the people who are listening. So uh, we appreciate you guys being here and, and also hanging on uh, while we do our, uh, our show break here. Um, great, great first part there with uh, the guys from the Commons, Sean and Sam. Um, just world-class beers and you know i think they brought up you know there's a little bit of a worry out there with how well kettle sours are doing when it comes to quality of product and the more we can get guys like the commons or chris from green bench on talking about how they make their kettle sours so so well uh the better off we'll be as an industry kind of using this as a like sean said as a tool in the tool belt you know, rather than as an end-all, be-all when it comes to sour beer. I'm trying to think of another example of something in beer where everyone thought it sucked by its nature, but it in reality just hadn't been done really well up until that point. Like, my mind went to black IPAs, but then again, I don't... I, I know there are good examples of black IPAs now, mm-hmm. and there weren't for a long time. Belgian IPA. Oh, there you go. That's a perfect example. I, I'd say that's a big, big split right there. So, uh, yeah, it's happened in craft beer before. And this is, you know, I'm just happy to be that we're a part of figuring this thing out. So we'll continue with the guys from the comments right after this, uh, well, for you guys, a long break on the Sour Hour.